Now, our final speaker today is Catherine Di Lorenzo, who is Adjunct Senior Research Fellow at the College of Fine Arts, the University of New South Wales, and at Monash Indigenous Centre, Monash University in Melbourne. And the title of her paper is Oceanian Tropes of Place and Modernity, Sydney. So, um, Catherine. Thanks, Judy. Um, thank you also very much, very warmly to the, uh, all the staff at the Art Gallery here who have made this whole process a very um, enjoyable one. Um, and uh, I'd just like to begin by a quick acknowledgement of the Gadigal people on whose land we're standing. Okay. To look at Atge's at images of old Paris, the Paris that escaped the modernising hand of Haussmann, is to sense a city whose quintessential properties are buildings and alleyways and whose quintessential materials are stone, glass, metal and perhaps a torn paper of posters. It could be claimed that we see in Atge's images the coupling of architecture and civilization. Before examining some of the photographic material from Sydney in the early 20th century, I'd like to explore the idea that an architecturally dense city, or to put it differently, an all-but treeless city, um, was seen in late 19th century France as evidence of civilization. <clears throat> a clear example of this was certainly uh, was a concept um, that was evident in the 1889 International Exhibition in Paris, where the eminent architect, Charles Garnier, proposed a series of small shelters that could evoke the history of human habitation, from sheltering under trees thousands of years ago to the Renaissance villa, which seemed, in the archaeological scheme of things, to be just yesterday. Clearly, Varnier, Garnier sorry, was indebted to the conceptual conceit of a tour through the past, published by Eugène Viollet-le-Duc, whose habitations of man in all ages um, had been written 14 years earlier. The project titles are very similar and they cover much the same terrain, one that reflects European archaeological and colonial interests in the Middle, um, Near and Far East and elsewhere, including Oceania. According to the guidebook for the exhibition, the 1889 exhibition, the dwellings were erected between the spectacular showpiece of the event, the Eiffel Tower, and the River Seine. Most dwellings, with the exception of the earliest um, shelters, were furnished and displayed in uh, uh, what were considered to be um, appropriate clothing. So here we have um, two um, images here that form part of a 25-line, a suite of 25-line engravings published on the project. Um, so they begin with the cave dweller, um, set within dense vegetation. The man is described in the guidebook as a troglodyte from Ethiopia, and he wears an animal skin dress, Roman sandals, and carries a spear and boomerang. Um, and it ends with a Renaissance villa, where all signs of vegetation, let alone wilderness, have been lost to the architectural wonders of a true civilization. That both Philippe Le Duc and Garnier were leading architects in Paris may have had more than um, a little influence on the theory linking the masonry of architecture to a concept of a civilized city. It would be disingenuous, however, to regard the ordering of the architectural examples or exhibits as simply Eurocentric, progressivist and elitist. 
Epigos, the chief narrator in Violet Leduc's uh, Habitations of Man, shows a, an intense interest in the fundamental similarities of domestic architecture everywhere, albeit necessarily differentiated by adaptation to place and environment. It is this openness to local opportunity that informs a final exhortation to, by Epigos to humanity, where he, and he says, investigate thy beginnings, learn thy aptitudes. Garnier's uh, architectural exhibits of habitats from ancient and living cultures was but one means used by the fair organisers to ensure visitors not only marvelled at contemporary art, artefacts and industries, but considered comparative cultures albeit in a spectacular and at times girlish fashion. An awkward juggling of both um, Lamarckian and Darwinian ideas of origins and emerging ideas of cultural comparison was already evident in the late 18th century um, park, uh, Le Désert du Retz, where the visiting, visitor, upon entering the gate, emerged into the world by stepping out of a cave, and then in, in the park, there are all these examples of architectural follies from around the world. Um, late, <clears throat> later, in 1889, a different expression of the conjunction of origins and modernity is evident in a photo by Prince Roland Bonaparte um, of the meeting hall for the Congress of Anthropology in 1889 at Neuchâtel in Switzerland. At least one panel was decorated with a Carl Gunther image of Billy, one of the several captured Queensland Aboriginals who was forced to tour the uh, US and Europe in what are now known as human zoos. It may seem strange to start this talk with images um, that are not uh, photographs, but then when I encountered them, that is a series of 25 engravings, when I encountered them in the Bibliothèque Nationale in 1999, they had a peculiar, um, particular sorry, resonance, not, um, not for the indifferent compositions, but because of what they seemed to say about comparative architecture and comparative cultures. At the time, I was investigating holdings of 19th century photographs of Australia in the Bibliothèque Nationale, the BNF, and other institutional collections, and the overwhelming majority of photographs gave the impression that Australia had no cities whatsoever. According to the photo archive, Australia was represented geographically as an, a wild, untamed land of subtropical fern tree gullies, and demographically as peopled solely by its indigenous inhabitants. Um, whereas the photographic archives in the late 19th century Australia abound in images of colonial progress, the photographs in the French archives that I investigated had stronger thematic links with sketches made on the Baudin and D'Entrecasteaux ex expeditions many decades earlier. Not until... Um, about 19, uh, sorry, 1898, are there images of Australian cities, suburbs, the pastoral and mining industries, deforestation, and so on. I was yet to understand that 19th century um, French scholarship on Australian history and geography was comprehensive indeed, and that the photographs that I first encountered were out of kilter with prevailing um, French scholarship. 
This mismatch was even more bizarre given that the images were not from the prints and photographs section of the BNF, but from maps and plans which holds the archives of the Société de Géographie. In this romantic view of Australia, the fern tree gullies that were sometimes shown to shelter indigenous people functioned to remind the European viewer of remnants of, of a past that eluded progress. According to the photographic archive, the trope was that Australia was primitive, the antithesis of civilization. In accord with the spectrum established by Garnier's um, History of Human Habitations, even the camera, the innovative and sophisticated image-making tool par excellence of the 19th century, seemed to offer evidence that Australia was a land resistant to architecture and civilization. Not even photos by Antoine Faucheri, whose son pictures of Victoria play such an important role in Australian photo historiography, not even his photos are in the BNF. There's just a caricature that you see here by Nadar and a card index um, that says that his last known address was at 22 Collins Street in Melbourne. So there's no photographic evidence to contradict a nature-abundant, architecturally-deprived um, concept of primitivism awaiting civilization. This is not the occasion to go into the whys and wherefores of the anomalous Australian material in the Oceanian photographic collections of the BNF, but it serves as, a, um, as, a European, as one European perspective, anyway, on distant Australia. And before returning to the obverse of this, where Sydney contrived to present itself as a sophisticated city to the rest of the world, I have one more remark to make about ideas of photography, architecture and place that were in my head while initiating my research in Paris. Compelling photographic evidence for the idea that architecture could indeed suggest a richly civilised setting was encountered also in 1999 when I saw um, the exhibition of Atgay's very beautiful work at the Musée Canavalet. His ability to lovingly record the textures and silences of a city, one that seems all the more humanly scaled because of the narrow, narrow alleys and uh, cul-de-sacs, that lead the eye into streets lined with architecturally rich walls but don't um, overwhelm the image with an excess of street paving that can compromise a boulevard streetscape. The coupling of architecture with civilization so painstakingly mapped out uh, by Viollet-le-Duc Viollet and Garnier in written and built forms is echoed, perhaps in Atge's repertoire. However, by rejecting the epic... Um, including a survey, say, of architectural um, forms over time, which Garnier and uh, Villers-le-Duc had done, and the uh, um, exotic, um, well, by, by rejecting the epic, by rejecting the bird's-eye view, such as we see in Nadar, and here we have an image by Tissandier, who was also a balloonist and photographer in the 19th century, and by rejecting the exotic, um, such as had been made popular through Maxime uh, Ducombe's uh, views of Egypt or uh, Desiree Charnay's Mexican architectural project, much better than his Australian work. Um, Ake transformed our understanding of architecture within the city. His grounded perspective of the city, his own city, is intimate, inviting and kind, a place where surreal details were intriguing rather than alienating. So... 
Um, before looking at two sets of images from the early 20th century, I, I want to look at a particular moment which has already come up in one of the earlier talks. Um, in the late 19th century, when photographers had the opportunity to consider how to present Sydney as a distinctive and memorable city before the rest of the world. The 1879 Sydney International Exhibition was centred in the governor's domain <clears throat> just off Macquarie Street. Um, it's um, 800 metre long cruciform and domed glass building um, being officially named officially named the Garden Palace by Henry Parks, Premier of New South Wales, because of its location within and primary orientation to the Botanic Gardens. In Sydney's first really major bid for international attention, the imposing architecture, especially to visitors arriving by ship, downplays the urban setting on Macquarie Street in favour of its undulating garden terrain leading to the harbour, which Anthony Trollope described as inexpressibly lovely. Photographic documentation exists to show the building's construction, exhibits and ultimate immolation after just a couple of years. But the prized photographs were of two kinds. One was the picturesque aspect from across the bay to the east, foregrounding um, the harbour inlet and foreshore trees and showing the, um, the double-height eastern facade to advantage. The other was a prospect from the dome which gave visitors and photographers breathtaking views of the harbour. As Peter Cohane nicely put it, the building was both a landmark and a lookout and the photographic record is testament to this. The photographic scenes and panoramas indicated the extent to which this young yet newly invigorated city could make a pitch for urban representation that straddled architecture and landscape. It was as if Violet Le Duc's spectrum of architectural modes in his habitations, published just four years um, before the Sydney International Exhibition, is here eclipsed by spectacular architecture embedded within even more spectacular natural setting. The civic and architectural authorities knew Sydney's environmental strengths, but it was the photographers, both the official um, Richards and Co, and others, especially Charles Bayliss, who captured this idea visually. So, what archives in Sydney might be called on to respond to what we now know of Atge's work, even though a search through Trove reveals no um, evidence of um, any collections or reportage of his work in Australian newspapers or journals um, until the very late 40s, 1940s. Of course, artists and others who travelled overseas may have encountered Atge first or second hand, as in a similar way did artist and writer Lionel Lindsay who in 1903 returned to Sydney from overseas where he'd purchased, and I quote from a letter of his big photos, of the Gothic cathedrals of France. Now these were not at gaze, of course, but they are reminders of the affordability and transportability of photos and it's just possible that these things might, we might find some archives in time to come. Here I'd like to thank Joanna Mendelssohn for waiting my... Um, uh, curiosity about the Lindsay purchase um, that might that just might have been at gaze, she thought, and Gail Newton, who knew I was hooked 
and suggested the possibility that Lindsay's big photos may um, refer to the mammoth plates used by Edward Baldus in the 1850s when he and um, four other photographers were invited to document France's ancient sites under the Commission for Historic Monuments, led by author Prosper Merrimay and Villers le Duc, no less. If the 1879 photo showed the inextricable link between the metropolis of Sydney and nature. By 1900, the photographic documentation of buildings shows an inextricable link to the social. So I'm now going to talk to, um, briefly to the first sustained publicly commissioned photographic record of Sydney that by default recorded its architectural, usually domestic, built heritage. And then I look at a little-known photographic archive in Sydney that also resonates with Atkins' um, architectural and urban project. Whereas Atke's buildings were often those that had survived demolition under uh, Georges Haussmann's master plan, the photographic record of early 20th century old Sydney buildings was typically captured in the nick of time before imminent demolition. Um, the idea of recording buildings uh, before demolition was driven in part by uh, government determinations in 1900, the city building surveyor, <clears throat> Robert Hargraves Broderick, um, ordered the photo photographing of buildings zoned for demolition in accordance with the 1879 City of Sydney Improvement Act, which authorised council to condemn buildings and issue demolition notices. We've heard a little bit about this already. Um, it was not just shoddy and obsolete buildings that needed to be demolished. Between 1879 and 1900, Sydney's population had more than doubled to almost half a million. Much of the city-based accommodation was poorly regulated and overcrowded. So when Sydney suffered the um, bubonic plague in 1900, it was a makeshift accommodation in small inner-city backyards that was seen by the authorities as unhygienic and the ideal habitat for diseased rats. Architect and consulting engineer George McCready um, appointed, was appointed on March 23, 1900 to take care of quarantine and clean-up activities, which he insisted be photographically documented. And as we've heard from Martin's talk, this was done by John Digatardi, who was employed by the um, Department of Public Works. Um, the 300... Um, 78 images um, in, in the six albums that um, exist stand as a celebrated um, the, uh, um, and one could also say notorious visual record of Sydney architecture just one year before Federation. Many images, though by no means all, reveal the shifting textures of lives and, and uh, buildings that are not conveyed in the maps detailing the resumption plans for both Millers Point and the Rocks. The pretext for the resumption was rat clearance, though very few of the images show the rodents. We do see fire brigade hoses and whitewash and lots of piles of rubbish in the streets. Although the point of the photographic exercise was to record the prevalence of substandard buildings and outhouses and thereby to vindicate the demolition, in fact our eye is more often drawn to the social incidents. We see lots of children observing the goings-on 
And we see sullen workers, which is a little wonder if Max Kelly is correct in saying that fear of contagion um, led to the recruiting of men from households to undertake the unhappy task of cleaning and demolishing all or part of their own lodgings. This is no garden city. But collectively, the images show us a city packed with people. It's difficult to look at these images without embarrassment at our complicit invasion into people's homes and backyards. Both the all-encompassing long shots that, uh, by virtue of the framings, condemn an entire street and the more close-up images looking down at lean-to kitchens and bathrooms before and after demolition exemplify surveillance. It might be too strong to say they're redolent of contempt, but at least they have little... But, but certainly they have little of the curiosity and um, empathy found in Atge. But some clouds do have silver linings, and in this instance, <clears throat> um, we see in the wake of the clean-up a desire by both historians and artists of the time, to record a sense of old Sydney, and it is to this that I now want to turn. It must sound amusing to Aboriginal people and to those from countries with a long history of settlement that image makers in colonial cities such as Sydney would begin so shortly after its own settlement to hold an exhibition of old um, pictures, an exhibition of pictures of old Sydney. This is exactly what happened in 1902 when the Society of Artists held its uh, exhibition in uh, Pitt Street. Most of the 145 paintings, uh, works were paintings, none photographs. Many of the subjects of the paintings, which you've, and you've seen some of the works um, in Martin's talk, um, retraced the steps, it would seem, of Degotardi. The impulse to depict Sydney as having buildings deemed to be old or quaint constituted a significant genre in the early 20th century Sydney. The photographer who best interpreted old Sydney within the milieu of art rather than documentation was um, Harold Casno, as we've seen, whose pictorialist interpretations of old Sydney include both genteel mansions of the uh, world to do as well as city streets enlivened by local Sorry, I'm catching up with my slides now. Um, local incident. Compared to Degatardi's, Casno's city images show him more of a poet of light, where both chance and intervention are used to capture Sydney as a city for people. Perhaps his painters and photographers were inspired by the establishment of the Royal Australian Historical Society in Sydney in 1901. As time moved on, photographic material was generated by two women members of the society, Ethel Foster and Alice Haig. Josephine Ethel Foster, or Mrs. A.G. Foster, was a founding member of the um, society, RAHS, and an active stalwart for the next 55 years. It's claimed she never missed one annual general meeting in 55 years. Um, with her husband, Arthur George, she documented numerous sites around Sydney, collating some photos in scrapbooks and publishing others in journal articles. Ethel's scrapbooks are referred to in her obituary in the Society's journal as her book of memories. They contain a maddeningly haphazard array of photos by herself and others, tickets, advertisements, um, some with captions, some with not, the distractingly buckled pages, however, should not cause us to dismiss her photographic project. 
the best of which I am unable to show you today. Their two-year project um, documenting gravestones in the Devonshire Street Cemetery before it was dismantled to make way for Central Railway testifies to their diligence and to her competence as a photographer. In the final paragraph of his extended essay on the Sandhills in the Historic Cemetery, which is on the Devonshire Street Cemetery, A.G. Foster acknowledged the painstaking photographic role assumed by Ethel. Quote, The other picture is taken from the same position, but the scene is changed indeed. The tree still stands, but the last stone has been removed. The cemetery is a memory only. The lady who's um, his wife, Ethel, seated on the crooked uh, bowl of the monotoka, wears a smile of satisfaction. Her labour of love is finished. The grave of many a pioneer has been preserved for posterity by her camera, and future generations will be able, as we have done tonight, to take a ramble through this historic cemetery. End of quote. Two years later, in 1921... Ethel published Bits of Old Sydney, a picaresque ramble through Sydney streets. At the end of the paper, she lists 50 images that were used to illustrate this talk, which I understand are in the Historical Society archives, but I've not yet had a chance to match them up. Um, I mention this and the celebrated 1924 publication on old colonial architecture by architect-artist William Hardy Wilson by way of making the point that there was a continuing market for images of old Sydney well into the 1920s. A less celebrated body of work, in fact a photographic archive that is essentially unknown, was made by Alice Maud Haig in 1924 and 25. We know little about Alice other than that she was the daughter of Barton and Elizabeth Haig and the family lived in the Sydney suburb of Gordon. Barton worked for an insurance company but was also a foundation member of the Royal Historical Society and an early councillor for that organisation for four years. Daughter Alice also joined the Society in 1926 and remained a member uh, until her death in 1934. It's a total biography that's known of her. Alice Haig's photos are interesting for their intensity and intelligence. No mention is made in the minutes of the Royal a historical society of her having shown her prints or albums to a wider audience, even though there was an active women's auxiliary and various members took pleasure in submitting their photographs for approbation. Mitchell Library's collection of six small albums created by Alice in 1924 and 25 have been given the title of Old Sydney, although a close examination of them suggests less a wistful indulgence in recreating memories of times past than a desire to capture a very immediate but fleeting present. Without as yet other documentation to prove otherwise, internal evidence suggests that Haig's images, which average um, 15.5 by 20 and and a half um, centimetres, were initially taken to document buildings and streets that lay in the path of Sydney's Harbour Bridge. Their days were numbered. Much like Ethel Foster, Haig may well have found the old buildings interesting, but she also sensed the urgency of recording them before it was too late. Having started on this exercise, Haig then documented other buildings, especially housing, throughout the city. I'll just show four pairs of her um, works and then say something about them. 
Um, so this um, is typical of the layout of her albums. Um, they're handmade albums. They, um, um, and, and the works in them... I'll just say something about these few images here. The building... These two images are connected in that the building that is the centre of the left-hand image is a, by the stairs that forms the subject of the right-hand image. And um, it'll take me too long to work through them, but the next... These sequences that I'm putting on now all have connections, all threads, a walk through the city, up the stairs, and you see what's there, and then around the back of the buildings. If Atgay showed curiosity and Degotardi surveillance, then it might be said that Haig is driven by urgency, certainly, but also by contingency. Prince by the amateur Alice would have benefited from an apprenticeship with a professional photographer, but despite this weakness, exaggerated, you must, um, I urge you to consider, by my crude snapshots of her work that catch the surface sheen and fail to show her work to advantage. Her eye for composition and attention to locational precision and contingency make her repertoire worthy of further investigation. Typically, her images are shown in pairs where we see the urban context. At times, her sequencing seems almost cinematic. Her entrance and exit sequence at the Fort Street School gates. Her images, which I'm trying to show you here, of the uh, Elizabeth Bay House. These are spread. They don't, in her album, they're not like that. Um, but you can see we enter the gates and there's a woman by the gate, and then we go down the entrance path and a couple of interior images and then conclude with a gentleman standing on the portico. It would be interesting to know why Haig chose to print platinum prints, a technique we normally associate with the pictorialists, but one that she almost never aligns with a pictorialist aesthetic. An exception is the effective title for a naughty boy temporarily banished to his doorstep in Love Locked Out, Master Morgan of Gloucester Street. And it stands in sharp contrast to the extremely precise title um, given to George um, Robinson, his residence and the location details. Compositional comparisons with superlative masters of pictorialism, such as um, Casno, um, are sometimes tough. But I like to imagine that her quiet and resolute attention to the city's built um, fabric bear comparison with some of the better-known professionals of the day. Like Atge's handmade albums and um, handwritten captions, Alice Haig sought to ensure that we didn't jumble the images in a storage box or a small picture file, but understood the intelligence and empathy behind um, her work. Well... Um, by way of conclusion, the 1879 images of Sydney show the city as a garden city whose architecture ever competes with the beauty of the harbour foreshore. The 1900 images um, bring, to the, uh, bring the urban poor into focus and it is they um, who uh, are foregrounded in the photographic representations of the city. The 1924 images are probably the most architecturally centred, though never without human incident. And so in looking at these um, images here, we, keep, we do, do kind of think about the um, imbricated process of fabricating those steps and the buildings, and we see the traces of the hopscotch on the road. Um, 
The um, wealth of images in these archives, um, in the 1900 archives, for example, and the 1924 photo archives, are certainly worth um, closer investigation. Now, of course, I've not included um, any Atge images in this talk because we have the beautiful exhibition here, but I hope that you've worked throughout this talk to seek, as I have, to understand some of the tantalising similarities I'll return to my beginnings, as exhorted by Viollet le Duc, to make a simple observation. Um, these photos, like Atge's, suggest that a civilised society produces cities that are much more than its architecture. Aborigines could tell us that. And yet we know of no... Um, as yet we know of no impact of Atge on the 20th century Australian photographers that I've just um, examined. But to the extent that they um, there are opportunities for comparison, especially with regards to detailed insights best known um, by locals who walk the streets and come to know a city's telltale nooks and crannies. The images reveal the power of photography in the hands of a keen observer as much as they do about the treasures yet to be unearthed in our photographic archives. Thank you.